the issue of gender identity has definitely been in the headlines for the last number of months. And that's why I wanted to spend a little time this evening talking about where we're at as a nation when it comes to not only gender identity, but also gender equality. And this is Gender Equality Week in Canada. Joining me to talk about it and its significance is Andrea Gunraj, Vice President of Public Engagement at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. What does um, a week for gender equality really mean? Because some people can say, eh, what, what does it do? Tell me about the importance of setting aside a week to focus on gender equality. Well, you know, like anything else, we can take the way that things are for granted. And we can often think that things can't change because we're so used to it. We've been kind of swimming in it. I think the opportunity to speak about gender equality, to identify the issues, to yes, celebrate any changes that have happened, but also look at what urgent things are happening right now. It's really important for us to do that. I think it's great to do it every day, but a week to do it gives us the opportunity to speak about it in a more coherent way and talk about what solutions we need to advocate for in the future. And everybody has a role to play in that. Give me an idea of the, the Canadian Women's Foundation, your organization, how long it's been around and its role. Well, the Canadian Women's Foundation is Canada's foundation for gender equality and justice. Uh, we've been around since 1991, and we focus on four areas. We aim to do everything we can to help women and girls and trans to spirit and non-binary people to move out of poverty, out of violence, and into confidence and leadership. And our goal is to reduce and end gender injustice and make sure that everybody has the opportunity to thrive. We know that gender justice and gender equality and equity helps everybody. It helps the economy. It helps us in our homes, in our communities, in the places we live, work, and play. So it's no small matter and no small goal. And as I said, I think everybody has a role to play. It's not just a woman's issue. It's not just a trans person's issue. It's everybody's issue for us to work on together together because it's going to help everybody. I'm glad that the organization has been around, you said, since 1991. So uh, we're looking at around 31 years. How do you think the conversation around gender has changed in that time? Well, I've been very heartened by what I've seen. I've been around myself doing this work in gender justice and particularly around the area of gender-based violence for over 20 years. And what I've seen is that people are much more into talking about gender matters, talking about how people experience things differently depending on their gender, how women and uh, trans, two-spirit and non-binary people have different outcomes. There is a sense that gender matters. And I think that's different than where I was 20 years ago. You know, we would get on the radio and there would be debates about it. And I thought that was just silly because I think that really the statistics are clear, the resources are clear. Uh, we have an issue that we need to address. And it's not just an individual issue, that it's a universal issue that people are experiencing. I think one of the things too, though, that I would also caution us on is that we think because our culture has changed that we see perhaps more um, movies and TV and um, more novels out there that are talking about gender uh, issues more openly, we can think that things are better than they are. And there's still a lot of changes that have to happen. We're still not where we need to be. There's gender pay gaps. Uh, there's a high risk of gender-based violence that has pumped up in the pandemic. There's also record lows in certain sectors of women's workforce participation. And all that leads to negative outcomes for families and individuals. So I would also say that, you know, 
where we're seeing the conversations change, we're seeing more willingness to talk, we still might have some denial about the changes that have to happen. Andrea Gunraj is my guest this evening, Vice President of Public Engagement at the Canadian Women's Foundation. And we are talking about the fact that this is Gender Equality Week. Andrea, it was interesting to look back on some of the history to see that it was in 1995 that the federal plan for gender equality was released, the Employment Equity Act coming into force. I mean, we're going a ways back. But do you think that kind of legislation actually changed things after 1995? Well, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that the changes have been happening, but unfortunately they have been at a glacial pace. So um, I look at the gender pay gap as a strong indicator of where we are. And gender pay gaps are multiple because they happen, yes, based on gender. They also happen on based on things like indigeneity, um, on your racialization. If you're a woman with disabilities, you get paid far less with a woman who's not living with a disability. Um, so we see these gaps still persistent. We have, um, you know, there's statistics out there that show if we leave it as it is, it will only change in about 250 years um, that we'll get parity. Um, and in some sectors, it's pretty bad because we have this notion of where women are supposed to work and where men are supposed to work. And we, we see that the sectors that are dominated by women and tend to get underpaid, underprotected, undersupported. And I think there's also this matter of women's paid work time being taken up with unpaid work time because they have to do care work. The care work is often for children, for elders, even for community members. Women do so much more volunteer time in their community to help neighbors, friends, family. Um, so I think that there's this dynamic of women's care work not being compensated. Women expected to do care work for free or underpaid. And certainly we see that in sectors that are just underpaid or undersupported where women are that tend to be the ones who are doing it. We know that COVID really shone a spotlight on the inequities, especially when it comes to women, women who may not have had the opportunity to work from home, their job took them out of the workplace. Where do we have to go from here after what we've learned from COVID as we move on into the future? Well, you know, I think you said it. At, at the start of the pandemic, we saw a really shocking drop in women's labor force participation. It dipped to historic lows. And we have seen some recovery since then. But what we're seeing is the most marginalized and time-strapped women. They're still really impacted by what's been going on. So women's part-time work exceeds pre-COVID levels, and women with young children are the ones with the lowest labor force participation. We've also seen employment fall for women between ages 15 and 24. And on top of that, people are saying that women's wages are not keeping pace with inflation, especially for those working in highly feminized sectors. These are things like retail and service sectors. And so I think that it's showing that we have these old problems that are still persistent. And the changes that we've seen over the last 30 years, they were still shaken because they weren't solid enough. We didn't do enough policy and practice-wise to make sure that they could last through disasters and pandemics. And you know, I would say that with climate change, 
change going on with the kinds of climate crisis we're seeing, we're only going to see these shakeups happen more often. Climate related, yes, but also pandemic related. We're not out of the woods yet. So I think that there's a lot that we have to do that's looking at the systemic structures of the way that our labor force works and the way that our economy works and see how can we support the most marginalized and time-strapped women. That's where you start. You start with high risk first so that everybody benefits. And I think sometimes we just haven't done that the way that we should. And again, I think people would be so shocked to see to hear that because we hear so many things about people talking about these issues now, but we just haven't actually put our minds to it and, and held our leaders accountable for it. So there's things that you and I can do, everyday people who may not have a ton of political power out there in the world, but there's things that we need to do in the areas that we do have some influence and some level of power. Great conversation, Andrea. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me.